Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Buzz Beat, member of Almighty Baller Radio and hosted by Spencer and Richie. Welcome back, Buzz Beat listeners, Queen City Hoops, Hoops readers, and all Hornets fans. This is episode 21 of Buzz Beat Radio, and we're very excited about the progress of the, of the show so far. Thank you to all of our listeners um, that, have, that have stuck with us to this point. Guys, please recruit you know as many of your Hornets friends to get on board um, as well, so we can continue to grow uh, and bring you the very best Hornet show there is out there. Um, all right, we got a good show tonight. We've got a very special guest that we're going to bring on that I will introduce momentarily. But first, check in on Buzzbee co host, the always trusty Richie Handles Randall. Richie, how many Easter egg hunts did you win yesterday? <laughs> none, none. No, I, uh, yeah, I uh, spent some time with the family over Easter. Watch some basketball, especially on Saturday. Uh, that was a, an amazing uh, game slate there, especially the first one and the last one. Had me reminiscing about the Charlotte Hornets playoff run last year and uh, kind of hoping that we were in the playoffs again this year. Obviously, we wouldn't really make a dent in the playoffs with our team. But, you know, just thinking about, you know, Courtney Lee's big shot in game five last year and stuff like that. So, yeah, the playoffs have been very good. You know, these first two days in, they've been pretty amazing to watch. So, yeah, doing well. Uh, spent some time yesterday uh, with my family for Easter. Good, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't even really remember last Easter because I was so preoccupied with the playoffs, you know, the Hornets being in. So it was kind of nice this year to just be able to enjoy time with family and not have to worry as much as I would like to see the Hornets in the playoffs. It, it kind of was nice not to be preoccupied by right. that. So again, anyway, so we've got a, a special guest uh, with us here on the show. Uh, it is Frank Burt, who you might also know as at not Kaminsky on Twitter, a very respected Hornets social media opinion. Uh, Frank, we're really excited to have you on the show, and thanks for coming. How's it going, my friend? It's going great. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, like Richie, I also won zero Easter egg hunts this weekend. Uh, my girlfriend was very quick to the eggs, so I uh, came up empty-handed, but got to watch some basketball. I uh, felt good about that. Heard a little bit that the Hornets weren't in there, but uh, I think t- tonight we'll talk a little bit about you know, how they can maybe improve their chances for next year. So I'm excited about that. Thanks again for having me on. Absolutely. Okay, so we batted uh, zero on the Easter egg hunts. Um, I suffered a hamstring injury yesterday morning and had to pull out of the one that I was supposed to be in. So, um, so not so good of a year for us uh, on the Easter egg hunting, but we'll, we'll improve on that and, and come strong next year. All right, so tonight – uh, we're going to put a bow on the 16-17 season for the Hornets. Um, we're also going to hand out some end-of-season awards, which I'm really looking forward to. I think that'll be a really fun segment. The first thing I want to do is talk about, and Richie, I'm going to throw it to you first. The last two games, 
last week, Atlanta and Milwaukee, both on the road. I guess the Milwaukee game was somewhat close. Hornets had a lead in the second half, I think, at one point in that game. But really, both ended up being blowouts. Um, Didn't see a ton of minutes from the starters, really, in any of those games. I think the one guy that we should spend a few minutes talking about that got a chance and took advantage of his opportunity with those minutes in the last two games uh, was Travion Graham. Uh, Richie, I think this is a guy who could definitely be a rotational player for the Hornets moving forward. Would you disagree with that or agree? No, I would agree. I would agree. I, li- I liked his play over the last two games. Again, we talked about this on the on the previous show. You know, we wanted to see the young guys get some run in these last two games, and we weren't really worried about the uh, the wins and losses per se because at this point we've been eliminated from the playoffs. Uh, so we wanted to see where these young players fit with our roster moving forward. Uh, and Travion Graham was the obvious standout out of all of these players. Um, obviously, Christian Wood barely played, and, and you know there's some news on him uh, that just came out. And then you had Weber that played a little bit as well. But you know, Travion Graham, his last two games, he averaged 11 points, uh, two rebounds per game. But really what stuck out to me the most was his three-point shooting. I never knew that he had that in him. Uh, when we first signed him, I knew that he had you know, a propensity to get in the lane, drive in, use his uh, you know, athletic build um, to kind of fend off defenders, but I never knew he had a three-point shot. And that's truly developed this year, as you saw in the past two games where he shot 50% from behind three. So um, we, you know, we, we always need players that can impact you know, the game on both ends of the court, and, and, and he does that. You know, he knows his role. He can hit his three-point shot. Uh, and obviously get in the lane as well. That's kind of what I knew him of uh, prior to signing uh, with the Hornets. But, yeah, the three-point shot from him is definitely something that uh, developed this season. And, and I think he, he will have a, a, an effect on the team next year. Again, he just needs to play more. You know, he, he didn't really play a lot this year. Absolutely. Frank, Travion's 6'6". He's almost 230 pounds. Um, he's a solid player on both ends. Might have more potential to really be... I mean, I mean, he might have more potential on defensive end, but he kind of seems like a very prototypical three and D guy here in this in the NBA. And he's only 23 years old. Is this a guy do you think the Hornets might roll the dice on um, here in the next few seasons? Maybe even throw him a a long term contract. Yeah, I can definitely see it being possible. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the three and D guy. I mean, when the Hornets have been successful in the last few seasons, they've had that guy, right? So the first being CBR. Uh, Chris Douglas Roberts, uh, when he came on, he was, you know, signed off the street basically and saved the Hornets season. And then Courtney Lee last year, and we all remember that. I mean, he, you know, Richie, you mentioned the game five game winner, but he was a lot more for the team in the second half of the season than just hitting game winners. Uh, they need a guy that they can count on, on both sides of the floor. Um, but this year they didn't really have that in my opinion. I mean, Marco, for as good as he was to start the season, was kind of tough on the defensive end all year. So with, with Trevion, I mean, he's a little undersized to guard the, the three. Um, and he's not super quick, you know, if you're putting him on like a Bradley Beal. But um, I was impressed with him. And I could see them taking like a low risk sort of two or three year deal on him, uh, maybe this fall or next summer, uh, with with a couple team options on there. But uh, he's pretty good. I mean, I'm not like super psyched, but he could definitely crack the rotation. Yeah. I mean, I just think I agree with everything you just said. And I, I just think with how questionable, you know, the Hornets have been on the wing and how thin they've been there over the past few seasons, there's just so many question marks. I, I really think he's a solid presence 
that a coach can trust. I mean, Travion Graham is one of those guys that you know what you're going to get, I think, from night to night. Um, he can he can start in, you know, in pinches when the Hornets are um, dealing with injuries. And here's the other thing. I watched him a little bit playing growing up and playing in college at VCU. VCU guys that played for Shaka Smart know how to do two things, shoot the ball and guard the ball. And he can do both of those things. Um, you know, it's obvious where his basketball roots come from. I really like him as a player. Uh, I like the fact he's only 23 years old. I, I would not be upset if the Hornets rolled the dice on him. Um, you know, it's some kind of low level deal, um, that has him hanging around Charlotte for, you know, the foreseeable future, similar to what they did with lamb a few seasons ago. Um, all right. So Richie, you mentioned it a minute ago and I want to spend a few minutes on it. The Hornets have declined and this came out, I mean, literally 20 minutes before we started recording here, they have declined uh, the option on Christian Wood um, for next season. So he is now an unrestricted free agent, and the Hornets roster is now at 13. Um, they made this decision quickly. My my gut instinct is that they like Johnny O'Brien. You know, now that Plumlee's here, there's just not enough room uh, for Wood to fit into the rotation. So you and I were talking about Twitter, Richie. I think you're right. I, I just think it's a it's more of a talent thing than you know, reading the tea leaves and, and trying to see if the Hornets are, are setting up another move. Um, Frank, what was your reaction to the Hornets? Not, um, not extending him next year this early. Well, so I think they had a deadline, right? I think it was five, five or eight days after right. the last regular season game, something like that. I was surprised because I thought they liked wood. And I mean, I guess the writing was on the wall a little bit because he didn't get much playing time the last two games, but Man, I mean, we had all those injuries towards the middle of the year, and he actually got some burn at center because that's what I think he needs to be, a center, first of all. Um, he looked pretty good. You know, I mean, he can block shots. He's a bouncy rebounder. Um, when he's confident shooting, he's pretty money. Um, sometimes he's a little hesitant. So I was disappointed, to be honest, because the option was only, you know, for a million and change next year. And I thought he had a real, real shot to push, push for center minutes, especially third center. Uh, you know, talking behind Cody and Plumley, So I was disappointed, but I mean, if he wasn't going to get the burn, maybe they're doing him a favor. So, uh, I, it's not a big blow or anything, but I liked his potential for sure. Yeah. I, I must, I missed that the deadline, but that makes a lot of sense. Obviously why they made the move now. I mean, I'll say this, Richie, and then I want to get your thoughts. You know, I think that the Hornets, it's obvious they have to address the rim protection need here in the off season. I don't know if that's through the draft or through free agency. So, you know, I'm kind of with you, Frank. I'm a little bit disappointed because he is a very intriguing player uh, with his ability to protect the rim, run, um, potentially down the road, stretch his game all the way to the three-point line. But I I just don't know where the room was going to come for for him to play. And and I guess this says that the team really likes O'Brien too. Richie, your, your thoughts? I mean, same things that you guys have said. You know, he just did not get a lot of playing time. And even in the, the the Hawks game, the last game of the season, when we were playing our scrubs, he didn't come in until, like, late in the third. Like, I was sitting there, I was like, oh, wait, we do have Christian Wood. Why is he not out there playing? You know, he, he did show flashes. I think it was the Clippers game that uh, I think Frank might be referring to in which he uh, played very well and he, and he kind of showed his potential. And I remember asking him uh, at the media, the media day prior to the season starting who he would compare his game to. And obviously not production-wise, but style-wise, he does have a little bit of Anthony Davis in him in terms of he's lanky, he's athletic uh, around the basket, but also he's trying to extend his range out to the three-point line. So 
Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm a little disappointed, but obviously there's a log jam there uh, when it comes to that big position. So uh, he just wasn't seeing the court, and I don't know if it was Clifford, if they didn't see what, you know, if they didn't see um, any kind of production in practice or what what have you, but um, clearly it didn't look like he was going to get minutes here. Let's move on to another uh, news tick action item here that came out a few weeks ago. Rich Cho's option uh, for next season was picked up by the team, so... We know this. We know that uh, General Manager Rich Joe has one more season with the Hornets. Um, not surprised personally that they picked up the option. Um, I, I think the bigger story is that they they decided not to pick up the option and also extend Joe into the future, which I think depending on who you talk to, um, some folks maybe thought that was a possibility. I mean, it, the last here recently, it hasn't been a great run for Joe, but I would say his overall track record with Charlotte has been pretty good. Um, if okay, let me let me present this question, and then Richie, you jump in, and then Frank, you know, add your thoughts. If he does not, if the Hornets miss the playoffs next season, Rich Cho is fired. True or false? I would say true, and I and I, I'd almost say that they need to make the playoffs uh, comfortably, not sneak in at the eighth seed or the seventh seed. So, I mean, to keep my answer short, I would say true. I think that's the reason why. Picked up his option for one more year to give him a look one more time and see what he can do. I know, you know, he came into this situation uh, and it wasn't an easy one to fix. But I guess, you know, the recency effect here, these these this last season probably has a big effect on the front office in terms of, uh, you know, how the Hornets are producing. So I would say yes. No, no playoffs. No show. I agree. I mean, I want to say false here. I really do. But, you know, Spencer, I think your point is very valid. They didn't extend him. I mean, they gave him one more year, which can only be really read one way is that he's got this one more year. And obviously the team wants to win a playoff series. That's what they, they say themselves. Uh, if you ask anybody, um, you know, media availability or in interviews, they say they want to win a playoff series and sneaking in at the eight seed isn't going to cut, cut it probably to, to get that done. So I think that's the bar, the front office, and I guess maybe Jordan set is that next year sort of make or break. Uh, but it's tough because, I mean, I, th- I think Cho has basically delivered exactly what everybody wanted. Uh, you know, there's some questionable recent decisions, as you know Richie mentioned. But, uh, I mean, this year the roster was exactly what everybody thought it should have been. Um, and it just didn't pan out for a number of reasons. So I hate to point the, point the finger at him, but – it's just a kind of a natural thing in the NBA. It's a, it's a tough job to keep. So I think, I think I agree. It's true. They got to make the playoffs and they've got to make it pretty comfortably for him to keep his job. Frank, when you look back, um, on Cho's time with the Hornets and Bobcats for that matter, his time in Charlotte to this point, what would you say is his greatest strength as a general manager? I'd say his greatest strength is his ability to, use assets, I guess they create and use assets, if that makes sense. So he kind of came into the position being known as a guy that would make a trade to make another trade to pick up a random second round pick that would end up being the sweetener in another deal. Um, and so to me, that's always been his biggest strength. He's not, he's not one deal minded. He's very long-term oriented with his deals. So like, for example, like that first, Josh McRoberts trade. I mean, it was like 
the floatsome of Matt Carroll's contract for Hakeem Warwick that he then flipped into Josh McRoberts, you know, and he ended up being like the catalyst of that Bobcats playoff team. Um, and, you know, he signed him cheap next year. You know, it's like little things like that, t- turning Matt Carroll into your starting power forward on a cheap deal for two seasons. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff I think he's been really successful doing. And, you know, maybe the situation just got too good for him. He finally got some cap space and had some, had some ammo and he just didn't hit any home runs with it. And now people are upset, but uh, I think his biggest, biggest asset is his ability to use assets, you know? Yeah, I would agree with you. And then, you know, you look as, you know, recently his last season, I mean, he's able to, before last season, you know, he signs Jeremy Lin to a deal who ends up being obviously a huge difference maker for the Hornets. You know, he trades for Courtney Lee in the middle of the season. Um, he's able to get off Lance Stevenson still. Um, you know, that, that was somewhat of a questionable trade, but just to be able to get off that money is impressive enough. Um, well, also, yeah, he, he wouldn't have been able to get off that deal had he not put the team option in the third year on Lance's contract. Correct. And like when Lance got signed, people forget, like he was a pretty hot commodity. I mean, it cooled off considerably in like that first month when he didn't sign, but like going into that free agency, it was like Gordon Hayward, Lou Aldang, and like Lance Stevenson as in terms of like legit small forward options. You know, I was, I was pumped. I, I yeah, thought me it was, too. I thought it was a great Charlotte. deal. It was a I steal. thought he'd be well enough. Yeah, I What's thought he was going to be good next Kemba. Well, I just, you know, it felt like, I, I agree with, with you, Frank. I, I felt like it was time for Charlotte to roll the dice. They were ready to win. The roster was built as well as it had been built since they tore it down, you know, and traded Steven Jackson and Gerald Wallace back in 2010. And then, you know, it just, it was a, it was a disaster. But then the way he pulled himself out of that and, and the team was, I mean, it was just like a quick bump on the road. Now, Richie, it's like a completely different story with these with these recent deals that the show has made. You know, I wasn't I wasn't a huge critic of the Batum deal. You know, I thought it was necessary again because I think the Horns are ready to win. Did they give up more value than they got back? Yeah, probably. I think that's always going to be hard to, to, to you know that's going to be hard to really re- refute. But this Miles Plumley trade is something that I. I I cannot make sense of it. As the days pass, it makes less and less sense. And, you know, I, I understand, you know, Miles Plumley's style um, kind of fits this this pick-and-roll heavy uh, offensive scheme. And, you know, you, you know, chose, he, he's got that thing where, you know, he really thinks that he can bring the most out of players that have kind of been, been forgotten about. You I mean, he tried it with Roy Hibbert. You know, that was a fail. I, I guess – all these things that he's done as a GM to make himself look like a genius. Is he making the same moves now, Richie? And now those, those moves are just backfiring on him where they weren't before. Or is, is there a clear philosophical change in the way he is transactioning now? How, how, how would you answer that question? Well, I would say the way he's transactioning the miles Plumley trade, I still can't wrap my head around. Cause that to me does not seem like a rich Cho move. He's always one that's trying to trade for someone that has better value than their contract. You know what I mean? So like those hidden gems out there. Miles Miles Plumley was making is making twelve and a half million for the next what three or four years. I mean, it, it's a ridiculous contract. So it just didn't seem like his type of move. So I don't know. I mean, this this year, you know, the past off season, 
uh, and then obviously the midseason trade with with Plumlee, uh, you can kind of look back and see that this has kind of been a disappointing acquisitions between you know losing out on Lee and Lynn, uh, you know locking all our money up in in Batum and Marvin. But yeah, that that Plumlee trade still a head scratcher to me. And I, I just can't see that Rich Cho was the one behind it. But you never know. He could have been. Yeah, Frank, I want to get your thoughts on the Plumlee deal. Um, and then I'm going to add kind of my opinion on, on what happened and why that was such a uh, such a reactionary move that I, I don't think had been a, a plan in the long terms, uh, long term uh, window for Charlotte. Yeah. So for, for the Plumlee deal, and I've definitely kind of gone back and forth on it, but one thing I'd say is a lot of these Cho moves, when I went back and looked at all the transactions that you know, the Charlotte team has done in the last four years uh, or six years now, um, you know, they, they tend to get better with age. Like the Kimba extension, I remember people being very torn on that. Like, oh, Kimba Walker for $12 million a year. Like, what are we thinking? He's not even a top 15 point guard in the league, et cetera, et cetera. And then we all know how that turned out. And I think people are starting to turn, come around on the Cody extension. Spencer, you mentioned the Lamb ex- extension earlier. Um, to me, sometimes it takes a little while for, for his transactions to look better because he knows the ramifications of the salary cap and the movements of the cap so well. All that being said, I was still disappointed in the Plumley deal because it felt too knee-jerk, in my opinion. Um, they needed just a warm body at center, and they refused to give Spencer Hawes minutes, which I can understand. Um, but he, he had played pretty well the year prior. And, you know, they, they committed a lot of long-term money, which is just very unshow-like. Uh, but I think that could look better over time. And then the kicker, the last thing I'd say is that when you look at the free agent centers this summer, it's pretty bare bones. Like, it's, it's not a great list, especially if you only have, you know, 8 to $10 million to throw around, which is what we were basically going to have. So I kind of get it because – they got Plumley, and now they can use the full mid-level exception, which is around $8 million. So instead of getting some random $3 million center um, this summer and another cheap player, they now get Plumley and an $8 million player. So a long way of saying it was, it was kind of a cap move, which was a good thing, but I, I still think it was a bad value trade. Right. And I get, I I completely understand what you're saying about, you know, the Hornets kind of saw the writing on the wall with what the, the front court market was this summer. And like you said, it was bare bones. Now they get a guy in miles who, you know, how much better are you going to do in the summer? You might not be able to do any better. And on top of that, your point is, is a good one that, you know, the Hornets, they take on that contract and it actually gets them to the point in overall spending that they get the full mid-level exception, Frank. And I think, Without Plumlee's money, they actually qualify for the not the full, I, I believe. So, anyways, there's a lot of kind of minutia involved in this deal that gives the Hornets a little bit more money to spend with the full mid-level exception. Now, my biggest question here is why take on that much money in the long term? Right. Um, you know, you know, I get all the other parts, but you know, in, in that you think he's potentially a really good fit for what you do in the first place, but that is just so much money in the long term, And I, I just can't imagine that it doesn't tie up Charlotte somewhere. Um, especially when you consider some of the decisions they're going to have to make. I mean, the decision with Kemba coming up in a few seasons, I mean, 
that's going to be a, an enormous contract and they're going to need a lot of space to fit him back in. Um, and, and on top of all that, the biggest question is, is Miles Plumley even a player who can get on a basketball court in the NBA anymore? And I honestly don't know if the answer, I don't know if that answer is yes. I mean, I hope it is, but that guy that I watched and yeah. it's very spot minutes from when he came to Charlotte from Milwaukee, completely lost and looks like a guy who could, couldn't have less confidence on the basketball floor. What did you think about his last two games? I thought I saw some flashes that made me kind of turn around my opinion just a little bit. He looked, he looked bouncy, but I, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I admittedly <laughs> didn't tune into a ton of the last two games. So I, I, I shouldn't, I'm not even going to speak to that. Um, I, I don't doubt that he's bouncy. Uh, Frank, I, I really don't. I know he's an athlete. Um, I don't know how good his basketball IQ is. You know, I think he played with some really good guards in his best year in Phoenix. I think Goran Dragic made him a, a ton better. Um, you know, I I know what Charlotte does. You know, philosophically, offensively, I know how they want to play pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll. But like when you're playing with a second tier point guard and a bench unit, and you're Miles Plumlee, that's a lot different than playing with a starting unit. Uh, and a point guard like Goran Dragic, and not only that, but now you're five, six years removed, seven years removed, whatever it is from those glory days. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, I get you know, and all your points are great about why the Hornets made the move. It just that seemed like a desperation move that did not, like you said, Richie, that did not reflect what Rich Joe believes in, and that's what makes me scratch my head and believe a little bit that there was some pressure on Cho to make that move that, you know, that maybe didn't sit very comfortably with him, but that, you know, obviously that's just anecdotal. I'm just guessing. Yeah, um, I think, I think the big point, and I think we're all kind of hinting at it was why Plumley and like, why so soon before the trade deadline? I mean, I know it's not fair to say that like we could have done this deal, but like Nerlens was basically, basically went for free, you know, like imagine if we had waited and been able to turn, you know, expiring deal like um, Hibbert plus, I don't know, even like a lamb type guy in the Nerlands or belly, you know, like we'd be, you know, right. throwing a parade, but right. we spent all our chips on Plumley. It was, it just didn't make any sense. You know, it, it, it does not. It remains to not make a ton of sense, uh, but we will see. I mean, you know, he, he was injured when he got to Charlotte. His minutes were very inconsistent. He couldn't stay on the floor, you know, again, because the injury. So a healthy Miles Plumlee, we'll see. I, I think we can. We know this for sure. He's going to get minutes. <laughs> I mean, we're, if we're going to pay him that money for the next four seasons, uh, he's going to get on the court and he's going to get a chance. So Yeah, now um, that Wood's out of the way. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, so I, I mean, look, I, I think that the backup center minutes uh, belong to him, you know, and until he loses it and he could, and he could certainly lose that spot, but he's going to get a chance. So let's kind of leave the question uh, alone until next season. We get a little bit more of a sample size, but certainly a deal that uh, makes you scratch your head. Okay. <clears throat> let's move into the fun part. I think of the show, um, do a little season review here. We've got a few questions that we want to toss around. Richie, I want to start with you. What impressed you the most from this season? Yeah, obviously, even though we didn't make the playoffs, there's still some high points that we got to point out in terms of uh, you know us playing well. I think it just continues to impress me the way that Clifford can get the best out of his team and, and in certain areas of the game. Um, obviously, he focuses so much on the, the little things, 
and it, obviously we have to to win games. We, we've talked about this all all season. We have little room for error, but he is continuing to do the little things and getting the best out of the players when it comes to turnovers. Obviously, we were number one in turnover percentage in the NBA. We also were number two in the NBA in limiting offensive rebounds. So again, small things like that that are going to help us win ball games. And then obviously we didn't start too hot from the free throw line, but as the season progressed, uh, we started converting from the line and we actually ended up with the top free throw percentage uh, in all the leagues. So, and again, we don't foul as much. So those, those little things are going to do wonders in terms of um, getting us a chance to win. And that always will impress me with Clifford and how he gets that the team to focus on those small things. And again, it happened again this year. And then uh, individually, obviously, Kemba and Zeller, uh, they were the, the two individuals on this team that I think performed the best. Uh, they had the highest of the highest of, out of anyone. And then for the most part, I thought the starters played well, uh, especially when Zeller was healthy. And um, so, yeah, I mean, th- those are the high points for me for the for the Hornets. You know, the, the, the little things that Clifford preaches every day at practice and then obviously the individual performances from now All-Star Kemba and then uh, Cody Zeller as well. Yeah, I'll piggyback on Richie a little bit there. So when all five of the, you know, the core starters started, the record, I think, was 27 and 20, which would be quite solid if you uh, put that out for the rest of the year. So I thought that was a really good sign and you know, really just showed that this team wasn't that bad as constructed, in my opinion. It just never kind of came together the way they wanted it to over a full 82 games. Um, and then the other things that impressed me, I think MKG playing 81 games uh, was, was great to see. I mean, he didn't have the season I think everybody wanted him to have, but just the fact that he was mentally able to go out there and play every game and prepare and he gets to go into this off season. I hope I'm crossing my fingers here, um, go into this off season, healthy and focus on parts of his game to improve rather than rehab, I think is, uh, was very impressive to me that MKG could do that this season. Cause it's been a while since he's, um, stayed healthy all season. Those are all good ones. And, and bringing up the MKG, you know, playing 82 games is, is a really good one. Um, <clears throat> Richie, you mentioned, you know, what this team does and, you know, what makes it so good from year to year um, under Steve Clifford and it really just how disciplined they are with sticking to what they do the best. Um, you know, the most impressive thing to me, I think was, I think it has to be Kimball Walker, you know, j- just starting with him. I mean, it's just unbelievable what kind of season he had, how much he had to carry this team offensively. I mean, when you really get down to the nuts and bolts uh, of this team and especially offensively, how much they depended on Kimba. It's, it's really unbelievable how efficient he was as a player. And not only that, but how good he was late in games and in clutch situations. I mean, those stats, if you haven't gone and looked at those, they're just, they're off the charts. Good. He's, he's one of the top three guys in the entire league. And you think about the Russell Westbrooks and the James Hardens and LeBron. I mean, when you, when you actually fathom, how efficient he is of a, of a player in those situations and compare him to some of the other guys in the league. It's really, it's really unbelievable. So, you know, it, it has to be Kim Walker to me, the second part. And I, now I can't remember which one of you mentioned it, but it's Kimball Walker and Cody Zeller and in, in the synergy they have developed playing together. Um, you know, I, Cody Zeller is, you know what you're going to get from that guy night in and night out. I don't know if he's the starting center on an Eastern conference finals roster. You know, I, I, I'm not sure. 
But what I am sure of is that these two guys, Kimba and Cody, have one of the best offensive. Uh, they have one of the best offensive synergies in the entire league. When you talk about a center and a point guard, and um, it's something the Hornets certainly are not going to break up. Uh, and when you go and look at their net ratings, I mean, if you add their two net ratings up, you know, as, as players, it gets you it gets you above plus ten, which is unbelievable. Um, so you know, if Zeller stays healthy, you know, for even 75 games this season, you know, 76, 77, do do the Hornets have enough to get in the playoffs? They probably do, you know, but, but he goes out for a stretch of games and that's really when Charlotte, um, you know, takes their downturn as a team and, and couldn't recover from that. But, you know, those are the two things for me, Kimba's performance and then Kimba and Cody Zeller playing together. Um, the Hornets know who they are when both of those guys are on the floor, you take one of them out of the equation and everything starts to break down, uh, around this team. And I think that was, we saw that very clearly this year. Um, all right, Frank, let's start with you here. Favorite game of the season. Uh, this one's pretty easy for me. I was at the Spurs game in Charlotte back in November. Um, we actually lost that game. So it's kind of a weird favorite, but, um, we had great seats and I personally thought that was one of the best the Hornets played all year. I mean, they just looked like a legit team. And I remember coming away from that game and being like, man, even though we lost, like, I feel like the Hornets are competitive. Like they can go out any night and kind of play with anybody. And this is a game where we didn't even have Cody, which we just, you guys both just spent five minutes talking about how great he was and he was great this season. So for me, that was the best game. It, I remember we had trouble getting the ball inbounds, which, which hurts, but Either way, Kimball was just ridiculous in the clutch in that game. He had that little two-handed scoop layup as he was, like, falling out of bounds. And I think it was on ESPN. So that was my favorite game. That was a good one. Richie. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good one to point to. I know exactly what game he's talking about. Yeah, the turnovers killed us in that game. And it's funny that you pick out a, a loss as being your favorite game. But now that you mentioned that, <laughs> I mean, it's – it, that was a game when you, when you watch it, you're like, yeah, Hornets can compete with, with almost anyone in the league. Obviously, that's not really the case. But, yeah, they, they played very well. And I think it was a, a nationally televised game, too, if I'm not mistaken. But my favorite game of the season, kind of like Frank's, it wasn't necessarily the most complete game. And I'm not sure exactly why this is my favorite. But this actually was back in the good old days, back when we were playing good basketball early in the season. We were 7-3, and three, and our losses had come to Boston, Toronto, and Cleveland. Um, and everyone was talking about, you know, OK, the Hornets are seven and three, but, you know, all of their losses have come to uh, pretty good teams from the Eastern Conference. And they were looking for that, you know, that headliner win. And Atlanta was coming into town. Uh, they had a very similar record to us at the time. Uh, we ended up beating them by four points. Again, it wasn't the most complete game. And I'm not really sure why it's my favorite, but we didn't play too well in the third quarter. And we were actually down by as much as 10 points in the fourth uh, but things kind of turned around, and obviously Kimba uh, was the one that kind of led the charge, scored 10 points in the fourth to carry us, uh, 21 overall, and had five rebounds and six assists. So th- that game to me, I don't know why, I just remember watching that game early in the season thinking, okay, we, we need to pick up this win. We've already lost to the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Cavs. We need one of those wins to kind of give us that marquee win. And surprisingly, that game, Batum had 24-10-4, and four, so uh, that was kind of few and far between with Batum. All right, so my favorite game of the season was the first game of the season. Um, And I'll tell you why, because it represented everything the Hornets were not during this year. And and when you watch this first game at Milwaukee, the Hornets win 107-96 in that game. 
Let me just tell you guys what happened in this game, okay? Roy Hibbert scored 15 points, had 10 rebounds, and five blocks. So that was all the rage after that game because now we finally have a rim protector. We finally have somebody who can start against uh, you know bigger centers, uh, but, but Zeller still assumes his starting position most of the time. We've never had that. This is going to be amazing. We have a clear path to a first-round playoff series win now that we have Roy Hibbert, right? Okay, let me tell you what else happened in that game. Michael Kidd Gilchrist scored 23 points on 10 of 18 from the field, grabbed 14 rebounds. Okay, something else happened in that game as well. Marvin Williams had 13 points and hit three of four triples. <laughs> all, all three of the things that I just told you probably never happened again for the rest of the season. Okay, it was it's kind of unbelievable to go back and, and look at that first box score and and try to figure out what what happened for the for the you know the following eighty one games of the year. Um, unbelievable. Batum didn't play well that night. That was consistent pretty much throughout the rest of the season. And Kimba just kind of had a, a meh game. Scored seventeen points, had eight assists, but really I, I think what why it's my favorite game because I was more excited after that win more so than any other win throughout the season because I really thought that Cho had done it again. He'd gone and getting Roy Hebert. You know, I mean, an amazing first game. They start him because of how big Milwaukee is in the first game, and he makes a huge difference, right? Um, and then Bellinelli comes off the bench, scores seven points. I mean, you, you saw the fingerprints of something that looked like another really good offseason job. Of course, it ended up not being that. But uh, but that was my favorite game of the season just because I thought I thought it was a glimpse into the what the Hornets could have been, right? Not what they were able to be consistently, but what they could have been. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to the last question here in our season review segment. And we'll start with you here, Frank. What disappointed you the most from this team this season? And there's a myriad of options to choose from here. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a kid in a candy store here. Um, I'm going to go with uh, the team's inability to really stop the three ball. Um you know, you think as the year went on, it felt like every game a team was hitting their season high and three point makes on us and their three point attempts on us. And I just, you know, Clifford's Clifford's a good coach. And I thought he might make some adjustments, you know, around the all-star break or a little later in the season, but it just never really happened. And, you know, from watching the games, I mean, to me, it just feels like we overhelp, you know, on defense. And that's that's part of the scheme. Uh, you want to protect the paint and you want to keep the ball away from the rim because we don't have that rim protector and then, you know, get back out to the three point line to contest shots. But that's really tough to do over an 82 game season. And, um, you know, there are a lot of times when I felt like we were just helping for no reason. So anyways, that was my biggest disappointment, biggest disappointment. I just, I hated watching teams just, you know, go bombs away on us over and over again. And, uh, hopefully that kind of gets adjusted this off season. It's a good point. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've kind of, uh, that's kind of a broken record here on, on Buzzbeat radio. <laughs> we've talked about that so often. Yeah, I know. Um, so yeah, the def- the defense to me, I'm just going to kind of piggyback off of, uh, Frank here, the defense declined throughout the season. So that, that was the most disappointing thing for me, you know, under Clifford, we've never had an under 10 defensive rating, uh, as, as you know, under his tenure here, this season obviously was much different. You know, we, we peaked defensively early and Clifford preaches and he talked about this in his postseason uh, press conference about how he likes to get his teams to peak 
uh, and get better throughout the season. But that didn't happen this year in, in, in many aspects, and especially from defense. So defensive rating from October to February, which actually is a good chunk of the season, we were 104.6, which would place us seventh in the league. From March to April, those two months, or really it's just a month and a half, we had a defensive rating of 110.4, which placed us 24th in the league. So just to see how our defense declined uh, throughout the year, and I know that it, it, a lot of it has to do with the three-point defense and, and that scheme, but there's got to be there's got to be something else too because I, I just feel like we don't have a lot of great on-ball defenders as well. So, and the one last thing I guess that disappointed me, but not really surprised me too much, especially early on, we kind of noticed this: just the difference between the starters and the bench. Like it's just crazy to see how our starters can play so well. And then when the bench comes in, we just kind of hold our breath and see if they can kind of uh, hold serve there. And kind of piggybacking off what I just said about with the defensive rating, our starters were 10th throughout the season in defensive rating. As a bench, our, our defense uh, was ranked 25th. So it's, it's, it's a big drop off there. Richie, you touched on it. Uh, my most disappointing part of the season was, was certainly the Hornets defense. Um, you know, I, I kind of expected them to not be as good offensively. I mean, when you take Courtney Lee and especially Jeremy Lin out of the equation and, and Al Jefferson who can bail you out, you know, by just throwing him the ball, and letting him go to work. You know, I thought the, the offense would be worse. I did not expect the defense to be this bad. Um, I actually expected it to be a little better. Um, they had nobody on the wing that could keep the ball in front of them. I mean, Michael K. Gilchrist had a very, very up and down season defensively. And I, I, I applaud his effort every single time I watch him, but I, I think it's, it's been time. We're past time to start asking questions about him as a player and really how good is he on both, you know, well, we know what he is on offense, but how good is he really on defense? You know, but the fact that the Hornets were 0-9 in games decided by three points or less and then 0-6 in overtime, I think says a ton. They they could not guard anyone in clutch situations. They were 29th in the league uh, defensively in clutch situations, they couldn't stay in front of the basketball. You know, I, I think that some of it has to do with the overhelping scheme that Clifford inserts, but look, the Hornets have been doing that uh, pretty much the whole time that he's been coached. They didn't start helping more this season. Um, to my eye, you know, I just think that they could, they could stay in front of the ball less. So when the ball gets into the paint more and you're already in, you know, in a, quote-unquote overhelp situation relative to other teams, you know, now when the ball swings, you're dead. But the, what's, what has been different in, in years before is that the Hornets just didn't get beat off the bounce as easily. Jeremy Lamb was a good on-ball defender. Courtney Lee, obviously a really good on-ball defender. We saw what he did against Dwayne Wade in the first-round playoff series last year. Um, they, the Hornets had nobody to do it this year, and, and that should have been predictable. It was not. In uh, in the front office, did not fight for Courtney Lee probably like they, like they should have last summer. Um, you know, I I hope the front office learned their lesson with with some of the moves or lack thereof that they made uh, last summer. But I think this is very much proof this season that if Clifford doesn't have a top ten defensive team, um, he, number one, he doesn't have the tools in this roster to compete you know, and win 45 games. And number two, I, I'm not real sure he's an offensive mind that's going to get a team that's flawed on that end over the hump. Where he will get a team over the hump is on the defensive end, but he's got to have a better toolkit. And, and the front office did not give him that this year, which they had in years past. Um, so that was my biggest disappointment. All right, guys, let's let's get to some end-of-season awards. Um 
And we're going to start with the MVP. Everybody's answer is going to be Kimball Walker. But quickly, I just want to go around, starting with you, Frank, and get the yeah, top two reasons, really, that Kimba is your MVP. And I'm sorry, I'm assuming now, but I'm pretty sure you're going to say Kimba. Yeah, that's a safe assumption. I mean, he really did carry this team. For me, like watching him, the biggest improvements were his shooting off the dribble and his ability to like set up the guy guarding him in the pick and roll. I mean, so many times this year he's approaching that screen from Cody and he would just do a little shake and his guy would just jump one way and he'd be gone. You know, he'd either uh, refuse the screen or take the screen and just be into the paint. Um, So I thought his ability to kind of navigate the pick and roll and shoot out of the pick and roll this year was was pretty elite. Um, And I got I got a stat for you guys that I don't know if has been seen yet, but I went and looked to just see how impressive his shooting was this year. And I mean, it's like all time impressive. So only five players ever have shot 600 or more threes in a season and converted on over 38% of those attempts. And it's Steph, Clay, Ray Allen, and Dennis Scott and Kemba. Uh, Steph and Clay have done it multiple times, but I mean, that's, that's impressive. Wow. wow. Yeah, you that's know, right. That is for unbelievable. A, for a guy who was, couldn't even crack 40% his first few years in the league. I mean, I wrote a huge article about how there had never really been a guy Kimba's size with his shooting in the first three seasons to ever really become a great three point shooter. Like the only example was like, that was even comparable was Kyle Lowry, you know? Um, so like he overcame crazy odds to even become efficient, but to have that sort of a season, I mean, it's, it's, it's insane. So I, he's obviously the MVP. I think the, the team is committed to build around him from, from here on out. And they, they did that when they signed Batum. Um, so it, it was a really impressive season. I, I think he'll get better next year. I mean, he just, he'll add some new wrinkle to his game. Uh, he could have been better around the rim. So anyways, uh, I think he was by, by far the MVP. Yeah, I don't know how much I can add to that after that stat. That's a crazy stat. So I'm just going to be quick here. I mean, yeah, yeah, to, to kind of piggyback off him, his shooting has, uh, has impressed me this year. He's improved every year that he's come into the league. And just when you think that he's kind of, you know, peaked, he gets a little bit better. And then, you know, like Frank said, he's, he has improved shooting off the dribble. Uh, and that obviously has been very effective when it comes to the pick and roll. You're obviously going to need that. And then I guess one more thing that I can point to, knowing that he's the star on this team and there's not a lot of other options out there that can create their own offense, it's 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 nice to know that Kimba can also also make something out of nothing sometimes because when all the focus is on him, you know, he still gets it done. Still gets it done. So obviously it's a safe assumption he is our MVP of the season. Yeah, it's Kimba and you know, Frank, you touched on it. My what I was most impressed with with Kimba, you know, this season was just how well he uses his head fakes, his ball fakes, how well he uses his balance and explosiveness changing directions against other guys. And on top of that, how well he reads where their balance um, is shifting. As soon as he senses that he's got a guy going in the direction he wants him going, he's just lethal in how quickly he changed directions. And, uh, and Frank, you also mentioned too, how he, he sets a guy up, you know, and Cody's really good at this too. You know, flipping the angle of the screen sets a guy up, gets him going in one direction. Cody will flip the screen. Kimball will take off the other direction. Now you have the big, so the helper on the wrong side of the screen, and you've got the guy 
guarding the ball or guarding Kimba going in the wrong direction. And now he's to the rim or in the paint and he's creating. So just the array of moves he has to change directions, you know, uh, with his strong foot, changing directions with his weak foot, changing directions, throwing the ball behind him, getting straight into his shot. Um, it's just amazing. I mean, it's just amazing how much he has developed his game. And when you watch a guy like that, and I can remember his, his rookie year and his sophomore year, I mean, this is such a different player and it's just a testimony to how much time he really puts into his game and how much he loves the game. Uh, but yeah, I'm not going to say anything else because that stat you mentioned, Frank, that is, that is unbelievable. So make sure that <laughs> can we, te- can we use that stat to tease this show, please? Actually? Um, I don't know what I got to do to convince you to let us use that, but that I've got the, uh, I've got the basketball reference uh, query saved, so I'll shoot that over um, <laughs> to, to, pr- to prove it. You know, yeah, I mean, obviously that's that's a great stat, man. But um, but yeah, it's Kimball, and it's not close. All right, um, Richie, I'll start with you. Runner up for MVP. I created this award because obviously the first one was was, was such a uh, a blow away here. So yeah, MVP runner up. The second most impactful player on this team, I think, is Cody Zeller. Um, I think this might be a uh, unanimous as well but you know you guys might have a different opinion maybe we can get a little bit interesting here but anyway uh, he got injured in late January missed 20 games uh, in total and the Hornets record without Zeller uh, in the lineup was three and 17 so that that tells you everything that you need to know you know he was he was a factor on both ends of the court with some down years from Marvin uh, with Batum we needed someone else to step up in in their place and uh, he was very important in the offense I think without him I don't think it would have operated as well as it did. And I think Kemba owes a lot of his success to the way that Zeller operated in the pick and roll game as well. So Cody Zeller to me, MVP runner up. Yeah. Um, I'll get creative here, Richie. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw out, <laughs> I'm going to throw out Nick Batum and I'm going to use your, your logic in my explanation because Nick does for Kemba what, what Cody does for Kemba. Uh, we all I don't know if you guys remember this. There's some stats from, I think, last year that, you know, on with Nick on the floor, Kemba was like one of the most efficient shooters in the league. But when he was off the floor, it was a different story. And I think that played out again this year. I, I was trying to scramble and pull up the stat, but I couldn't do it in time. Um, you know, he creates that secondary offense that allows Kemba to play off the ball. And as good as Kemba was a, as a pull-up shooter this year, he was even better in spot-up situations. So, Without that second creator in the lineup, teams just really focus in on Kimba and, you know, just it shuts down the offense. Like you, you watch it, you're just like, oh, this is brutal. Like they can't get anything going when it's just Kimba out there sometimes. So uh, to me, I'll say Nick is probably the most val- like second most valuable player to what they do because, you know, his passing and his vision and, and his shooting sometimes, sometimes because it's not that consistent, but that's a lot harder to replace in my mind than, than Cody's screen setting, even though Cody's screen setting is pretty elite and he was third in the league in screen assists this year. So I got to say a different guy and throw out my Cody stat in my answer. So I feel good about that. I didn't mean to make you change your answer there. <laughs> oh no, you, you, you didn't. I was just trying to mix it up because we've been just loving Cody and Kemba rightly, rightfully so. Right. Yeah, I think it's. I, I, I think you make a good point, Frank. I, I do think that it is Cody, though. Um, I just, and I've said this before. You know, I just think the team knows who they are on both ends of the floor and offensively. You know, they just know where they know where they're going to eat. Um, you know, when Cody's out there setting screens and 
um, and, and just setting everybody else up. I, I think everything runs smoother with him on the floor. And I, it, look, again, your, your point about Batum is correct. Um, I think his role – you know, I know he helps Kimba a lot, but I don't know how much it actually helps the team that he helps Kimba. And I think that's something the Hornets realized. You know, he, Batum has to be more of a scorer. He has to play more of an efficient role when it comes um, when it comes to offense. And I think you're going to see, I think you're going to see a difference in his game next year, and you're going to see a difference in his approach. Uh, but you, again, you're correct. He does give Kimba the option, you know, the ability to play off the ball, get in spot up situations, make the game a little bit easier for him, uh, especially with the, as well as Batum sees the floor. But I, th- I think it's Cody here. You know, I just think the net rating and the on off numbers just just speak for themselves. I mean, he's just such an impact and he's just such an intrinsic part of what they want to do offensively uh, and, and just makes their style run. Um, for the record, I just want to throw out there my MVP runner up. Is Cody. I'm with you guys. Um, and I do want to say, too, I hear what you guys think about this. I kind of feel like he was the MKG this year of like two years ago, right? Like when the MKG on off numbers from, I think, two years ago, when he got, when he missed some time, were just like crazy. Like they were just incredible with him. But when he was off, they were, they were bad. And I feel like Cody kind of stole that role this year of, you know, our, our entire philosophy kind of ran around Cody. Uh, where it kind of used to do the same with MKG, but that's kind of swapped. I don't know if you guys have that similar thought. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I think MKG, you know, offensively, how much does he really change how the Hornets run? Uh, but, you know, for Cody, he obviously changes it a lot because, you know, you, you don't you don't see as many ball screens. You see way more over dribbling. You see more guys standing. I, I just think when Cody's in there, there's gravity heading towards the rim. The defense really has to react. And now things start to open up and the Hornets can move the basketball, drive it past a closing out. I, I don't know. I just think, again, holistically things, they run smoother uh, with Cody in there. But uh, but no, that's I guess it's a fair question to present. Um, all right. Most improved. Richie, let's start with you. OK, I'm not going to spend too much time because we've talked about this player again a lot on this show. Uh, I'm going to go with Kimball Walker. Uh, I, th- I think that my expectations for this year was for him to kind of keep the same stats as he did last year. I did not expect the improved play that he had this year. And obviously with more attention on him, see, I didn't think it was going to be improved. I thought it would be, it'd be about the same. But so just comparing last year to this year, and I guess you could look at this, this award in two different ways. I don't know if you guys looked at it most improved throughout the season or most improved from one season to the next. I took it as, okay, how did he, how did he improve from last year? So his points per game went up two points. His field goal percentage went up one point. But when we're looking at his three-point shooting, he went from 37 to 40. That may not seem a lot, but to me, 3% is a big jump, especially considering that he actually shot almost two more per game from from deep. And then Frank was talking about this earlier with his catch-and-shoot numbers and his pull-up numbers. Both of those numbers went up 4% from last year. Catch-and-shoot last year was 43 from behind the arc. It's 47 this year. Pull-ups from three from last year was 32 last year. Uh, 36 for this year. So very important uh, to his game in that pick and roll game with coach Frank. Yeah. It, I mean, it's Kimba. I mean, it's, it's also crazy because he went from a high bar to a higher bar, right? Like, you know, cause I looked at it from season to season too, Richie. And, you know, when you talk about most improved, like in the league, you know, a lot of times you get these guys who played 10 minutes the season before that got bumped up to 20, 25 and you know double their points per game out um output and that's impressive don't get me wrong but like Kimball went from 
near all-star to like obvious all-star in my mind. And like, had he kept up his early season pace and the Hornets were good, we might be talking all NBA level guard this year. Like, you know, he'd probably be on the fringe, but we, we might be talking about it. And to me, that jump is much harder than, uh, you know, from, from nothing to something kind of jump. Like he went from something to even more something. Uh, so to me, that was the obvious most improved as well. But you guys aren't wrong about most improved. Um, but I'm going to, for the sake of being interesting here, I'm going to, I'm going to say Jeremy lamb, um, nice. you know, di- didn't have a crazy good year, but he, he had a career year, um, for what that's worth. You know, he had a player efficiency rating of 17, um, you know, over the course of entire season, which is you know pretty dang good to be honest with you. Um, you know, didn't really see an increased role necessarily from last year, but now almost 10 points a game has a career year, you know, in field goal percentage at 46%, not, not great from behind the arc, but I, I don't, I don't think that's where his game is. I think what we saw from Jeremy lamb this year is the ability to run an offense, uh, off of the bench. And I think you saw it more towards the end of the season, um, really more than any other time, but he's still a developing basketball player. Um, and I, I thought what he got really good at this year especially late in the season with learning how to keep his dribble alive without wasting dribbles. So what I, you know, he's, he has long strides. He's a very fluid athlete, but he really found a way to change directions and not really get into the paint necessarily, but he would get in that baseline area many times and make plays for the Hornets. And he's also really good at getting to the free throw line. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's a developing basketball player. I think the contract that he was given by Charlotte a few seasons ago has been, you know, I, th- I think it's been justified with his play. And I think the his best years are ahead of him. Um, again, no, he didn't make the jump that a Kimba Walker did this year. And he's Kimba's probably more deserving for a most improved, but, but Jeremy Lamb had a career year. And I think in one of the years, uh, probably his, his most important season as a professional next year will obviously be a make or break year for him. But I think you're going to see Jeremy Lamb take on a big time role for this team next year. And I think he has officially gotten out of uh, that Clifford doghouse that he lived in and out of for, for a few seasons. So I was really impressed with what Lamb did over the course of an 82 game season this, uh, this past year. All right, let's go to defensive player of the year. And Frank, I'll start with you. Uh, defensive player of the year. I think it's gotta be, uh, Roy Hibbert game one, <laughs> game one of the season. Uh, if you only count the first game, uh, <laughs> no, I think it's, I think it's Cody, you know, Spencer, you've hit, hit on this a bunch, but I mean, the team basically just fun, like runs through him on both sides of the ball, in my opinion. And, and defensively, what he's so good at is, is just covering ground. So, you know, a lot of times when pick and rolls, he can pick up the guard and follow him all the way to the baseline and, and force the pass back out and still get back to his man. Uh, he's athletic enough to, to guard the, the ball handler while keeping an eye on his guy to sort of, you know, keep the lob away, uh, which is very important in today's NBA. Um, and I mean, he, he can just do a bunch of different things on defense. And personally, I think Clifford doesn't let him protect the rim enough. I mean, his numbers, I think I checked them maybe five games last in the season. He was like a top 10, top 15 guy in terms of field goal percentage allowed at the rim. So, and that was under 50%. So I think he has that sort of that complete game you need in t- today's NBA as a center. Uh, with one caveat, I would say he, he doesn't really def- rebound defensively like an elite center. 
he can box out with the best of them, but he's not also getting those rebounds. But the numbers showed it. The record showed it. When Cody was on the floor, we were a good defensive team. And to me, he was the most important part of that. Yeah, because we're crunched on time, I'm going to go ahead and say the same thing. Cody Zeller, he was my defensive player of the year. You know, Frank touched upon this. He's, he's rarely out of position. You know, he's agile enough to play the pick and roll game and strong enough to battle the bigs around the rim. You know, the opponent's offensive rating when Zeller was on the court was 105.6. Not, I mean, not amazing, but when he was off the court, it was a difference of 6.4, and it was 112 when he was off the court. So, to me, that's, that's a big enough difference. That's the highest on the team. Uh, Cody Zeller, Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think the the numbers definitely speak for themselves. When, when Zeller's out there, everyone's more connected. He's, he's definitely the anchor on that end. Um, you know, you'd like to get a little bit more out of MKG on the wing from time to time, especially when those two are on the, on the floor together. But that's a, a story that really continues to unfold, and we'll have that conversation more down the road. But, yes, the answer here is definitely Cody Zeller. Okay, we're running up against the clock. We were going to get to a few more. I'm not sure that we're going to have time. Let's just do rapid fire. Let's just do rapid fire for those last couple. Okay, all right, let's do that. All right, uh, Frank, we'll start with you. Biggest disappointment this year? Uh, MKG should have taken – I wanted him to take a leap. He didn't. Okay, I'm going to say Frank Kaminsky. Uh, never developed a three-point shot uh, and actually went down from last year. feel like we should be seeing more out of him. So disappointment, uh, Frank Kaminsky. I'm going to say MKG as well. Most frustrating player is Frank Kaminsky, but I think MKG (laughs) is probably the most most disappointing. All right, Richie, biggest surprise. I guess this kind of goes along with the previous one, and I just wanted to switch it up. Marvin Williams, to me, I didn't, I didn't expect him to shoot 40% again from three, but I did not expect to see his inconsistencies throughout the season. Um, I'd probably say just Batum being less efficient this year. I, I didn't really think that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised by both. Uh, those are the two I, I kind of was trying to decide between. I think I am more surprised about Marvin Williams. You know, I thought he did such a good job of getting his body back in shape last season before last season had a career year I didn't think he'd have that year again but I thought he you know he just he he tries so hard he works so hard he gives everything he has at all times I just I feel like those kind of guys are typically rewarded but um but yeah age has certainly gotten to Marvin and that contract that he just got from the Hornets is going to look up is going to be breathtaking here in about three years I mean that's really going to be a hard one to to look at all right guys this was really fun Frank Again, thank you for coming on the show. This was awesome. Um, so we're going to have you on again before before the draft gets here. And, and Queen City Hoops is going to dive in really deep with draft coverage. We actually just launched uh, draft profiles page today. So far, we got Zach Collins up there and Jared Allen. So make sure you go and check that out. QueenCityHoops.com. Draft profiles tabs right on the top. Uh, Frank, let everyone know where they can find you on Twitter uh, and read all your good stuff on the Internet. Yeah, thanks again, guys, for having me. Twitter, at Mullins Mafia, throwing it back to my boy Byron. But very excited about the draft. Hope we keep our pick. Fingers crossed. Uh, Thanks again for having me. This is awesome. Awesome. All right, Richie, tell the folks where they can listen to the show on the go and follow us on Twitter and all the social media. Yeah, check us out at almightyballer.com, where you can find us, ABPN's radio's only Charlotte Hornets show. You can listen to our latest shows uh, via download through iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, We actually are doing a giveaway right now until April 30th, in which you can enter your name to win a BuzzBeat Radio shirt, color of your choosing, long or short sleeve. So definitely get on that. Uh, It should only take about a minute to kind of review us on iTunes and just send it our way. You can find more details about that on our Twitter handle, at BuzzBeat Radio. 
All right. Awesome. So to all listeners, again, thank you very much. Um, Until next time, and it's going to be draft heavy from here on out. So get ready. Uh, Go Hornets, and thanks for listening. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.